from Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans. We're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. The difference between highly successful people and the rest of us is courage. Lots of us have great ideas, but it takes a special kind of daring and confidence to turn an idea into reality. And then, of course, it takes a whole lot of hard work and a special set of skills to have it make money. My guest today started out with simple ideas that are now successful businesses. Craig Cortez had an idea for a cocktail he could take to the beach and drink without getting sand in it. Now he's running Cordina, marketing cocktails to go. Old New Orleans rum is based on a simple observation. We have a lot of sugarcane in Louisiana. Why not make rum out of it? Eric Luco is sales director of Old New Orleans rum, now an international award-winning success story. Eric Craig, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great to be here. We are, we are excited about having you. I've been looking forward to this show. Craig, let's start with you. You and your college buddies, Antonio and Sal Lamartina, are sitting on the beach, relaxing, gazing out at the Gulf of Mexico. In that state of relaxed free association, you could have considered harnessing the energy of the ocean to save the world or creating a better sunscreen to cure cancer. But actually, what were you concerned about? Your cocktails. And that's how Gordino was born. Is that a pretty good assumption? That's an actual great assumption. It's actually a factual assumption. <laughs> um, you know, we were sitting there uh, on the beach, and you can't have glass bottles everywhere you walk. You know, it says no glass allowed. Um, and then Antonio's mom had asked him to go upstairs and make a margarita. He goes upstairs, gets the, the mix, the blender, the ice, the tequila, the sweet and sour, you know, everything that goes into a, a frozen drink. And he's like, this is a pain, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm wasting my time at the beach while I'm up here getting my mom a margarita. And so he comes down, and we're sitting there talking about, you know, the last 30 minutes that Antonio's been at. And a uh, little kid walks by with a Capri Sun pouch, and we're like, dude, let's put booze in a pouch. And from, <laughs> from that moment, um, Cordina was born. Uh, was born, And, uh, you know, there, we had no alcohol beverage experience. We didn't know what we were doing. I was an auditor, and I had, you know, Antonio and Sal uh, were both, you know, one was in telecom, and Sal was in uh, the mortgage industry. And we didn't know what we were doing. We just had a crazy idea and, uh, in 2007 and decided to go full force with it and launched Cordina Frozen Cocktails in 2009. And you're the talk of the city. Why is, uh, a lot of people get to that point right there and then they just sort of have another drink or fall asleep in the sun. What did you do next? What, why did it have legs? Uh, I guess one of the biggest things was I never wanted to work in corporate America. Um, you know, at 23 years old when the idea was spawned, um, you know, what did I have to lose? I had no kids, I had no wife. Um, and so, you know, let's throw a couple thousand dollars at it and see if it stuck. And so at that point, you know, we built out a little FDA approved facility in a 2,000 square foot place, hand filled the first 100,000 units. I still have the war wounds war <laughs> from it. Yeah. And uh, it just caught. I mean, call it luck, call it success, aggressiveness. I don't know what you want to call it, but it caught. And, um, you know, right now we'll do, you know, 120,000 units a day, uh, what we used to do in a year. So. Whoa. And, and where did you first distribute them? What, what kind of places? Our, well, actually, it's funny. In the alcohol industry, it's a three-tier system. So you have the supplier, which is us, Cordina. You have the menu, uh, which is the manufacturer. You have the distributor, which is like Republic National Glaciers. And then you have the retailer, which is like your Rouse's or Winn-Dixie. And uh, we had to go find a distributor because by law, you have to have a distributor. We asked everybody to distribute our product. Nobody. Nobody's going to drink booze out of a pouch. This is <laughs> retarded. You know? And so, you know, we had to effectively create an entirely new category 
category similar to what you know the wine coolers were back in the early 90s um, and so we started with a really really small wine distributor that was just looking for some business and uh, we hand sold it with them started to catch on we were priced at 14.99 a four pack uh, currently we're priced at $1.99 a unit uh, we do single sales primarily but uh, you know from the beginning it was it was just hitting the ground running you know we were sampling at Rouse's every Friday Saturday Sunday every one of us uh, for the entire summer season so wow, a lot of work but I imagine a real adrenaline rush there yeah, at the it's beginning fun. I mean it's, everything's a challenge every day is a challenge when you have your own business so you never know what you're gonna walk into and you ultimately control your destination. And you are an auditor, so you know that the debits are closest to the window and that things is, like that. That's, that's correct. That's very important. <laughs> Eric, uh, all of us in New Orleans are familiar with walking into a bar and looking at what looks like hundreds of bottles behind the bartender. If you want a rum drink there, there's probably four or five leading brands to choose from. What gave the founders of Old New Orleans Rum the idea that there was room in the market for yet another rum? And, and how are you marketing it so successfully around the world? Well, Old Orleans Rum actually uh, started by uh, James Michalopoulos, who's a local artist in town. Sure, he's, all these uh, stuff at an angle, right? Yeah, yeah he yep. does uh, a kind of a skewed perspective of architecture in New Orleans. Is, is what he's known for. He also does sculptures and landscape paintings, and, and uh, he spends a lot of time overseas in France. He spends about half the year there. When the weather gets hot here, he skips town and heads to his place over there. And, and gets inspired to do paintings and sculptures over there. Well, in that area, there was a, a person who was uh, creating liqueurs and cordials, just a hobbyist distiller, and James saw that and tried it, and the guy had an amazing concept, but just a simple backyard operation. And James was a hobbyist distiller himself. He had experimented with distillation. Uh, in fact, he was telling me about a, a time once in school where one of his science projects was to distill water, because uh, well, he was too young to distill alcohol at the time, this is when he was in school. <laughs> and uh, got to thinking about sugarcane and rum and the fact that rum production and rum sales actually was part of the foundation of this city. Uh, the sugarcane plantations produce the, the, uh, the cane sugar that's converted to blackstrap molasses and molasses is the basis for rum. And so it was only logical to say, hey, we need to be making rum in New Orleans. You know, I know we have a street called Bourbon Street, but you can't make bourbon in Louisiana. That's just the rules. The bourbon has to be made up in Kentucky, so we can make some rum uh, in this area. And he did, and that was back in 1995. And the company skipped along uh, through the years. Uh, first products released in the market around 96. Started releasing aged rum a couple years later because barrel aged rum, you got at the mercy of the time and the barrel to age the rum. And then come around 2005, we had a bit of a hurricane that came through town. You guys might have heard about yes, it. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. um, our distillery is in the Ninth Ward, and uh, we took about nine feet of water in the distillery. We had a product that was a barrel aged rum uh, that in 1997 started getting placed in barrels for a 10 year aging product. Uh, come 2005, we get this bit of what we call, I guess, a hiccup is the lightest way to put it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have waterfront property for a few weeks there. Well, we come back from the storm, uh, start to do cleanup and realize that a good number of the barrels had actually survived the onslaught of the hurricane. And that was the inspiration to take this product to a whole new level. We changed the name of the company. At the time, it was New Orleans Rum. After the storm, there was a lot of talk of the city being new and rebuilt and changed. And we looked at it and said, guys, those buildings in the French Quarter are the same buildings that were there before the storm. 
uh, old city, the city of New Orleans is an old city, and we changed the name to Old New Orleans Rum in remembrance of the foundation of this town. And then in, introduced a couple new products, introduced a, a product called Cajun Spice, which has been the highest rated spiced rum in the world since its introduction. And finally, we were able to release our 10-year product in 2007. And those barrels that that product was in were here, were in the storm. We didn't evacuate the barrels. You can't exactly cross state lines with barrels of rum in the back of your car. <laughs> Looks bad, and, I know. Uh, <laughs> and so now we have a, a line of uh, premium and ultra premium rums that are really making waves nationally at this point. Now, I know you're going to get some very big players. Uh, yesterday, I just happened to be speaking to uh, the Alcohol Beverage Control Group. They were meeting in Florida, and sure. there was about 500 of them. By the way, you're a fun group. I want to tell you, the, you're, the alcohol have, people are a fun bunch. We have a good time. It's, uh, and, but, you know, they're, they have tremendous resources. How did you get the shelf space? How did you do it? Well, with us, I in New Orleans, it's easier than you would think because of the fondness for local products. And on top of that, it's not just a local product. It's actually a, a very good local product. Our products have been in various spirits competitions throughout the world and has always done well. Uh, it's a product that, that, that tastes good, is made well, and it, uh, it it's, exceeds most of your mainstream brands that are out there. And so when you combine the fact that it's local, it's priced competitively, and it's a superior product, it's not hard once somebody tastes it, to, they, they, they kind of become loyal to our brand at that point. Now that's true in all the pluses, but earlier, just before we went on, you were talking about how actually local alcohol actually is at a tax-wise disadvantage. How does that all well, work? It, uh, domestic producers of alcohol, uh, the taxation rate actually is a little bit tougher in that the excise taxes, federal excise taxes, hit us harder. If you import an alcohol, you're exempt from a lot of those excise taxes. So your rum producers in the islands pay less taxes. So for us to produce a bottle of rum compared to say uh, Bacardi or Captain Morgan, it costs us more to produce it because we are taxed at a much higher rate than they are on the production of their products. You know, to, to, in a product that, that uh, we, uh, we produce and sell, it's very lifestyle oriented. If you look at the liquor business, there's always celebrity endorsements on products, especially in the vodka world, sure. you know, where you've got you know, every rapper that's, that's worth his weight in gold teeth, he's got uh, <laughs> uh, you know, his name on some kind of brand. And uh, on the rum side, rum is kind of, I don't want to say it's a neglected realm, but you don't talk about it as much as people do vodka or beers or some of the, even the high-end uh, uh, scotches and whiskeys. Uh, rum's known as a party drink, and, and so I want to look for ways to take that concept and take rum, which is a, a very fine, finely produced uh, alcohol, and take it into the mainstream uh, in, a, in a micro uh, distilled spirits perspective. And by micro distilled spirits, uh, there's a a wave that you see now where people are getting into purchasing and looking for single barrel batches and small batches of various spirits. So uh, looking where the trends are in that is kind of what I follow to see where I can make the next headway in, a, in the evolution of our brand. You have to start with some startup capital. Where did it come from? Um, on the Cordina side, you know, all three of us were working full-time jobs. Uh, we each threw up our own personal savings, and uh, we That's were a little scary. Yeah, it was very scary. But again, at 23 years old, we had nothing to lose but money, right? Uh, and so then, you know, at that time, we also went to the bank, and since we were had jobs, and we could get, you know, a, a line of credit from the bank, and uh, so we got a line of credit, and you know, some of our own personal capital that we kept reinvest, you know, investing every month uh, that we got a paycheck. And uh, that's, that's how we got started. You know, obviously it's, it's evolved from there, but in the beginning it was our own personal money that's and a lot of credit at the bank. And Eric, where do these guys get their money in the beginning? Well, do you know? I guess uh, James, you know, he, this is a guy who's a very renowned painter. Uh, he does pretty well for himself as far as the painting world goes, and that helped support the business in, in its infancy. 
The alcohol business, unlike some of the electronics industry, some other industries, is a very short margin business. So you've got to crank up some volume to make some money. And it took a while for him to get to the point where the business was self-sufficient. So he had to float it himself for a while um, through the other businesses he has. Now, you know, James has interest in real estate. He has interest, obviously, in the art world. And uh, those things helped fund this operation for up until recently when we started to really expand and grow the business into a, a national realm. Wow, that is, that is, that's a ter- terrific story. You know, it's the time of the show we go to the inbox, the magic inbox, where our, our producer picks a question that's come in uh, from a listener uh, during, during the week. Uh, Grant, what do you have for these two really sharp guys? Peter, I have a pretty interesting question that came in from someone who lives outside New Orleans in Dallas. This listener is Marianne Rice, and she asks, it's a question really for Eric, actually, but I think probably it applies to Craig as well. well. When a product has the word New Orleans in it, or relies in some way on an association with the city, does it have to pay a royalty to the city? Knowing New Orleans, I would think it probably doesn't, but shouldn't it? That's a good question. that is a great question, and and it's not that there's a requirement to pay royalty because the the New Orleans name isn't necessarily trademarked, but with the old New Orleans rum, there is a part of our our income and profits that are, that actually give back to the art uh, world. Um, there's art programs and things that uh, this that our profits help fund, and there's money donated regularly to produce that. In fact, uh, most recently. Uh, James has uh, at his art studio where he produced a lot of art has added a theater where there's local theater productions that are put on so uh, a lot of what we do helps support that as well which is a big part of the city art, music, alcohol those are all things that New Orleans is known for uh, I like to say this is a 21 and up uh, Disneyland um, <laughs> you know people come here for their own version of amusement and it ranges from music to entertainment and and a little bit of alcohol consumption so we try and give back any way we can and yeah, I was just thinking it actually goes both ways in a, in a way you get to use that great New Orleans name but when people see this out of town they begin thinking about New Orleans I guess they do and actually it, uh, the New Orleans uh, the passion for the city is not just here I recently did a trip up north and worked uh, the Milwaukee and Chicago markets and the only places I called over places that had a New Orleans type theme and flair to it it was the easiest sales calls I've ever made, but there's just a, an extreme fondness for all things New Orleans in several parts of this country, which obviously gives us a little bit of an advantage as a small company going up against these, what I like to call 800-pound gorillas in the liquor world. And it's funny, we have these uh, kind of that, that dual uh, image, really. You know, we've, uh, you know, people love the city, but then I, I like remember after, the, after Katrina, I was giving speeches around the country, and I'd be in, like, in Iowa, and some little old lady would come up to me and go, you know why that storm hit you is because of all the alcohol and sinning down there, you know, and uh, and it really made me angry, and so I asked the pastor of our church, I said, what do you do when people say that to you, and she gave me the greatest answer, she says, well, I always look at them in the eye and say, well, maybe, but the French Quarter stayed dry, and both seminaries got 11 feet of water, so, I, <laughs> so that's how I come back well, for uh, you know, there's more to it, they, uh, the last time I checked, uh, my church serves wine. Yeah, there you go, there, yeah. And, on the, and then on the New Orleans side, actually, it's interesting that that, that question was asked, um, when we first started, we didn't actually brand it as a New Orleans product. And then we started going to the trade shows, and it says, you know, Craig Cortez, you know, Big Easy Blends, New Orleans. And we were like, oh, this cocktail must be awesome. It's from New Orleans. Like immediate recognition. We're like, holy hell, there's actually something here with New Orleans. And so now in our new packaging, it says made in New Orleans, huge across the front. Sure. Um, we actually are going to run campaigns 
solely around New Orleans because if you think about it, cities, if I say, you know, Lynchburg, Tennessee, what brand comes sure. up? Yeah. You know, if I say Boston, what brand comes up? And, and Sam Adams and Jack Daniels aren't paying royalties to, to those cities. And you're no. just known Nor for... Nor to Abigail Adams. Right. So anyone's left there. That's <laughs> how they, yeah. And so, you know, having a city associated with your brand is... Uh, it's very important for us um, from our branding perspective as well. It's immediately known. It's internationally known. Um, so we definitely savor that, that New Orleans brand and our product. Well, that's, that's terrific. You know, we, uh, during the show, we usually bring a new stock idea on, into, the, uh, into the world. I thought I'd take a look at today at a company called Callan Petroleum. It's a company that my students over at Tulane follow in Birkin Road reports. Uh, ticker symbol CPE, it trades on the New York Stock Exchange. It's an oil company, but instead of being out of New Orleans or Houston, which is where you think oil companies are, they're out of Natchez, which I really think of hoop skirts when I think of Natchez, but they are, that's where they're headquartered. Uh, they had operations in the deep waters of the Gulf of Mexico for a long time, but they've moved more on Onshore, and um, and they've really kind of turned the company around. The stock sells for about four and a half dollars a share, and uh, they come to our conference each year. So I thought I'd uh, bring that one up. And now I'd like to bring us into the lunch money section, which Craig and Eric are going to be a lot of help on. I just think because you you're coming with a certain background in here. Let's check out Lunch Money. Lunch Money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. We're building a portfolio of stocks chosen each week by our guests on the show. Craig and Eric each brought a, a stock for us to look at and add to our portfolio. Eric, what, what's going to be for you? Well, just because it's so much talk in the news is what's going on with Facebook. Uh, you know, I, I looked at it, uh, heard, heard all the buildup in the media, and this is, to me, at least my perspective on it. Now, granted, I'm not an expert on the market by any means. But you are somebody who looks at social media for I, your I work. I do yeah, look at right. social media. I, I, we use Facebook very uh, often uh, in our business. But the media did a lot, I think, to really hurt that stock. You saw every news story was talking about, don't buy it, don't buy it, don't buy it. And I really think it had an adverse effect on it. And I think you had some people who were gung-ho that wanted it because it was Facebook, because there's 900 million users on it, and bought into it. And obviously the people that made money are the ones that already had the money to begin with. And, uh, and you look at today, I think it's down 11%. Now, conversely, there's other uh, dot-coms, and you know Amazon and Google, and those guys that have found ways to make money and the market has done well for them. But I think this Facebook's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride. It's not going anywhere. You know, something that has that much uh, uh, approval uh, of users and a user base is is here for the long haul. It's can they generate the revenue, uh, and we'll see what happens in the end. You know, I see it teeter tottering back and forth, uh, but the IPO and where the money went far exceeds anything they'll ever do on an income side. And that, uh, that's a little bit scary for the investors. Well, that's right, and we get a ticker symbol there of uh, FB. Mm -hmm. And uh, oddly enough, you know, people thought the IPO went poorly because it came out, ended the day at about where it started, but that's what an IPO is supposed mm -hmm. to do. Uh, you know, these people think uh, it's a good, when a company comes at 10 and the first trade is at 20, that means the company got ripped off. You know, right, so exactly. it's not, <laughs> so we kind of got a lost perspective. What, what, about, what about you, Craig? What, do you, what stock you brought to us? Uh, the stock that I really look at is uh, Beam Global. Uh, just got spun off from Fortune uh, into their own entity. They're, you know, they own the Skinny Girl Margarita brand. Uh, they own uh, Beam, Jim Beam, as everybody knows. They own Maker's Mark. Uh, and then they actually just acquired uh, Pinnacle Vodka, which is that whipped cream vodka that you may have seen in the store or your wife may have you know, talked about. Um, you know, they paid up 600 million bucks for them. Uh, it's, they're really interesting. You know, they have it you know, in, in 
bourbon, they have vodka, they have ready to drink. Um, they just spun off a fortune. I'm not sure exactly if they're looking for a potential acquisition in the future, you know, to kind of separate it. Um, you know, pays a decent dividend. Listen, alcohol is not going anywhere right. in this recession. Uh, Jim Beam is pretty recessionary, you know, pretty recessionary proof product. Um, it's the lower grade bourbon, if you will, and uh, I like it. You know, being in the alcohol industry, I like you know Beam as my choice. That's great. And, you know, a lot of times these spinoffs really work off. A company's been part of a larger company, and now a, a different group of people are focused only on that. And right. it, uh, that's, a, that's a very, very good idea. You're, you're both in the alcohol business, uh, um, and uh, I appreciate both of, these, both of these ideas here today. Eric Luco, Craig Cordes, thank you so much for joining us on Out to Lunch. You can't have much more fun at a business lunch than talking about drinking, and this has been a lot of fun. I look forward to having lunch with both of you again soon. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having oh, us. We appreciate it. It was really great. And, I, and you can all, can't see this on the radio, but they brought some great things with them. Uh, my guests today on Out to Lunch have been a co-founder of Cordina, Craig Cortez, and sales director of Old New Orleans Rum, Eric Luco. To find out more about Craig's cocktails or to go to Eric's award-winning rum, including where you can find these products, follow the links on our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, live music and dinner seven nights a week. Our producer is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. And you can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. And you can get in touch with us by email at outtolunch at itsneworleans.com or tweet us, we're outtolunchnola. To listen to past shows and get this show as a podcast, go to www.no.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO. For itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet around the table here again at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch.